0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you working? What kind of work do you do?
1: up everyone and welcome to another episode of the Spurs Up show presented by the Armchair Americans. I'm your host Chris Phillips. No Tyler Clark today, uh, but we do have a very special guest joining me on the show today. Before we get into that, um, if you're not subscribed yet to the Spurs Up show, you're missing out. Be sure to go online. Please rate, subscribe, share and download the Spurs Up show. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, the Stitcher app. You know, really wherever you can see your media, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. Uh, also be sure to check us out on our social media handles, Twitter at armchairscar. That's going to be at armchairscar. On Instagram at armchairscarolina. And again, like I mentioned, go to ArmchairAmericans.com for all your localized sports coverage there. All of our Gamecock, latest breaking Gamecock news, the coverage, the podcast, of course. Uh, we put out a ton of great content and also for any of your sports needs. Pro and college, ArmchairAmericans.com is the place to go. So like I mentioned, I'm joined today by a very, very special guest, um, kind of to go through a little bit about him before we jump in. He's a career 280 hitter for the Gamecocks from 1999 to 2002, um, 280 hitter, hit 33 home runs, 154 RBIs, was also a first-team All-SEC-designated hitter in 2002, um, had a very, very memorable home run against the Clemson Tigers in Omaha in 2002 that I'm sure Gamecock fans haven't quite forgotten about yet, also was formerly doing, com- formerly doing color commentary for SEC Network Plus, uh, for all South Carolina baseball games, and like I said, someone that I think is pretty well known amongst Gamecock fans everywhere has made multiple appearances on different outlets such as 107.5 The Game, and you know is definitely around Columbia as well. So definitely want to welcome Trey Dyson to the show, Trey. Uh, it's great to finally have you on, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today.
2: Oh, absolutely! Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I want to jump right in because you know the last thing I talked about was. You know, the color commentary stuff with SEC Network Plus, anybody that's been following along at least this early in the season with South Carolina Baseball knows that there was a switch up there. Um, You had talked about a little bit on your own personal Twitter account. The state had an article about it. Uh, I just want to kind of get your take on it. You don't have to to go into too much detail if you don't (laughs) want to, but just kind of how you found out, you know, what your reactions to everything were and just kind of, you know, just tell us what what sort of happened with that. Well,
2: uh, I guess I could start with – um you know a long time ago the the great Mike Morgan was uh our our radio guy back when I when I was playing and we we kind of formed a great a good relationship back in the day and whenever TV would come to town back in my playing days um you know I would love to get on the camera and you know fool around with the with the the guys back then it was like Fox Sports that would would be the only ones that would broadcast our regular season games and so I kind of took a liking to it then. And then uh, Mike Morgan kind of helped me out uh, in the very beginning, along with Tommy Moody. He used to let me get on some some radio type broadcast back in the day before everything, you know, with technology got so good. And so I messed around with it a little bit here and there. And even when I was playing pro ball, I played pro ball from two. You know, after two thousand two, I went straight from the college World Series out to. Spokane, Washington, and played professional baseball for about three and a half, four years. But even during that, before, um, you know, spring training and stuff, I'd get on the radio and and with Tommy and do some stuff and then was able to do some games with Mike Morgan. And then, uh, you know, throughout the years after I got done playing pro ball, you know, South Carolina baseball would have about six or seven games per year that would be on Fox Sports. And I was able to do those those games on television um, you know, I, I got to work with Mike Morgan and Dave Neal and and guys like that. And then whenever the SEC plus thing came along, uh, that was just kind of a natural fit to put me in there since I'd been doing it, you know, for a long time already. And uh, obviously really enjoyed it. And when I found out this year I wasn't going to be doing it, you know, I I'd figured I'd, I was going to be doing them again. Um, it was just kind of caught me off guard. And, you know, certainly. Kind of uh, hurt me a little bit, but that being said, I'm I'm over it completely, and uh, I've got no really ill feelings to anybody. Um, just uh, moving forward. It, it probably should have been handled a little bit a little bit better. They should probably should have reached out and called me a little bit sooner. But you know, we all make mistakes, so it's all good.
1: Yeah, that that's that's what I was going to ask you. Was it one of those things where? Because I, I feel like now what happens a lot of times, at least in the sports world, it seems. I mean, you see like guys saying, you know, I found out I was traded from Twitter or somebody texted (laughs) me. Was it, it was that something how you found out or was it, did they re I guess it doesn't sound like they really even reached out to you ahead of time or anything like that.
2: Well, not, I mean, yeah, I basically called and found, and, and, and found out that they had decided to go into a different direction. So that's kind of how it went down. But like I said, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's uh it's, you know, got a lot more time to do some other things, but I certainly, you know, love doing the games and wish them nothing but the best from this point going forward, obviously.
1: Absolutely. And we, you know, we list, we enjoy, you know, Birch and uh kit bulk night, but definitely miss having you on the telecast. I will say from a, uh, you know, just a Gamecock point of view, watching the games, we definitely miss having you on the telecast. So, well, um, I appreciate that. We,
2: yeah,
1: right. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, you know, into kind of jumping backwards, if you will, to your playing career just for a little bit. Um, Again, you played from 1999 to 2002, was on that 2002 team that went to Omaha, you know, beat Clemson, um, similar to what happened in 2010. Um, Just talk about kind of because I feel like the teams you were on was sort of kind of the beginning of what has been South Carolina building a tradition of, you know, the expectations that – um, South Carolina has every year of, you know, being winners and, you know, kind of I think you guys really laid the foundation for the teams in 2010 and 2011 and then 12 as well. You know, the national title teams talk about sort of what it was like, you know, back then, as far as um, playing under Coach Tanner, sort of being those first teams, I guess, to kind of, you know, I think you're one of Coach Tanner's first teams at South Carolina, or at least one of the first couple. Uh, just talk about what it was like kind of playing back then sort of laying the foundation the way you guys have done.
2: Right. Well, South Carolina clear, obviously has a very storied tradition going back to going back a long time ago with Bobby Richardson. And um, but there was kind of a, a little a little lull there for a while, I guess, from the the end of the 80s until Coach Tanner came in. And we, you know, Coach Tanner, Coach Toman, those guys, they, they Coach Myers, they got a great group of guys together. And we were just a very close knit team that were. Um, Mixed up a, a lot of hometown guys, but a lot also a lot of what uh, Coach Toman would refer to as JUCO bandits. You know those guys that <laughs> that might you know uh, that had some experience, really tough nosed guys, and and we just love to win. And um, you know Drew Meyer was a huge piece of that, um, obviously being be, being the player that he was. And what we did so good, in my opinion, was we we really practiced incredibly hard and and we were intense coach Tanner expected that you know that when we step on that field it's a hundred percent effort all the time when you step into the to the cage and you get ready to hit you should already be warmed up you shouldn't really be getting loose at that point so everyone was going at hundred percent all the time and we wanted to win more than anything else and we loved it you know we made fun of each other Ah, uh, we were just a close knit group, and it was just a really awesome experience.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned Drew Meyer. I remember also Steve Bonderant was a huge part of those teams. Uh, yep. Definitely some great players that played on those teams. Uh, you mentioned Coach Tanner. Talk about what you know. What Coach Tanner you know meant to you as a player, and then means to you now. Now that you're kind of you know not so much playing the game anymore, but what what does he mean to you overall?
2: Well, Coach Tanner is obviously a very uh, a very good leader. Um, he was, he was someone that you certainly feared, um, when you played for him in, in a good type of way. I mean, he just expected, you know, there was expectations that were laid out and you were either, if you wanted to be a part of the program, you, you, you followed him. And if you didn't want to be a part of the program or if, if you made a mistake or did, did something that, that he, he told us not to do, then he wasn't going to put up with much of that. So, so you knew what the expectations were, and you certainly had a, a great level of respect for him every time you were, you know, around him. But then afterwards, it was like he was a completely different guy as far as like <laughs> it was amazing because, you know, I remember the, the first the first time really after after I got done playing with him, um, I, I you know, just seeing him for the first time and just the 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 love that he shared, you could tell he just, he so much appreciated you. And it was like, you were part of officially part of the family where he doesn't have to give off that sternness anymore. And it was just a great uh, feeling of relief for myself. And um, you know, he's, he's really like that with everybody. And it's, it was, you know, we still have a good relationship to this day.
1: Absolutely. It's funny. You know, we talked a little bit in pre-show, but I had, you know, we had Michael Roth on the show a couple of weeks ago and, he sort of echoed the same thing you said about, you know, how Coach Tanner could be, you know, you know, obviously fair, but really, you know, really, really tough. And it was funny he was saying that a lot of the uh, the older players would come up to them and just tell them, you know, how <laughs> I heard that. they had it with Coach Tanner now. Um, you think there's any truth to that? You think he softened up a little bit as oh, the years went? or
2: big time. I remember coming out there like a couple of – see, you know, I was kind of a, a free spirit out there trying to keep things loose for everybody. And I certainly did some things that – and Coach Tanner's, I guess you know, when, whenever he first got out, uh, got into college baseball. Some of the things that I would do would certainly not have flied with him. But uh, you know, we did some stuff. He knew that having some fun was certainly part of our playing baseball, and we kind of pushed the limits a little bit. And um, you know, some might refer to it as like being bush league. We weren't really bush league. We were just having a great time, and. Uh, he would never endorse a lot of the things that we did, but as long as we weren't being, you know, intentionally disrespectful to the other team, then he let us kind of get fired up and have some fun. But a couple of years after I got out and I saw some of the things, some of the guys were doing at practice, I was like, what happened to coach Tanner? (laughs) Like (laughs) none of this stuff would have, would have flown. And um, anyways, they were having a great time out there and, Obviously, you know, when Michael Roth came, he was a, a great, uh, you know, guy to keep the team loose. And uh, they, he got away with probably a lot lot, lot more stuff than even I did. So he certainly loosened up. And, you know, Coach Sanders has got a great heart. And he wants to win. He wants to do it the right way. And he, and he wants to do it uh, in a respectful manner. Uh, but you can certainly have some fun while doing that.
1: Absolutely. Um, so one thing, you know, I want to ask you about that I actually talked to Roth about as well was, you know, you guys are both sort of seen as, I guess, heroes in Omaha, you know, obviously beating Clemson sort of the fashion you did. I, I guess I'll just simply ask, you know, how much fun is it? Obviously, being at the College World Series is something a very limited amount of people get to do. But how much fun is it to do what you did, not only doing it in Omaha, but against your arch rival as well?
2: Well, it's the 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 the, the greatest experience a college player can uh, can have and there's really not really a monetary value you can place on that you know a lot of these kids who uh, you know more and more kids are coming to college because they're they see the the value of doing that as opposed to going straight to pro ball which is i think is a great thing and and you really can't place a va- uh, put a value on the experience of going to omaha it's the, the the greatest experience it's awesome so much fun and um you know going out there and having that opportunity to do it and play against Clemson just makes it all the better. And, um, you know, when we were playing out there in the early 2000s, it was against uh, Jack Leggett's Clemson squads who were obviously very tough, very businesslike. And a lot of people kind of criticized Clemson. They had a great team, but a lot of their fans and stuff got kind of criticized Clemson for being, uh, you know, a little too uptight. When we were the complete opposite, and so um, you know, I don't think you know Coach Monty Lee has got Clemson rolling in the great in a great direction. Um, so I, you know, they're playing loose, they're having a great time, but uh, certainly one of our advantages out there, I believe, was was how we were just fully embracing the experience, uh, you know, playing loose, understanding we really have nothing to lose, and just playing like the the JUCO bandits that a lot of them were. <laughs> Um, but absolutely, what, I, I was going to say one of the things after the Saturday game in the Carolina Clemson series this weekend, you know, I, I heard uh, some comments from from Coach Lee and it was just a great message to his team about uh, they were doing so good. And then, you know, they lost the game, but about how to bounce back and, you know, having joy coming to the ballpark every day and 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 having fun while you're out there and playing loose. I mean, baseball is a fun game, and it's meant to be played loose. It's a game of failure, so that so certainly guys can get tense. But if you have a a good guy at the top of the top of the ship that understands that, hey, we're playing out here. Let's have fun. Let's play hard. Let's play loose. It certainly makes a difference in the overall um, level level of play for a team.
1: Absolutely, and you, and you mentioned you know Monty Lee, and definitely, I mean, he's. You know, someone all South Carolina fans are familiar with. And I, I think it's no surprise, at least in my opinion, what he's doing at Clemson. Um, you talk about how important the man at the top is. You know, I want to get into the series over the weekend with Clemson, but talk about kind of your impressions of Coach Mark Kingston, what you think, what you thought of him beforehand. Has anything changed? Has your opinion of him changed since he started? And kind of just what you think about the leadership at the top for the Gamecock side?
2: Well, I think Carolina's in great shape with Coach Kingston. The thing that I, I noticed about him first was. His willingness to, you know, kind of reach out, learn about the program's history, understanding the importance of, of former players in the past. And um, I thought that was great. But I also noticed that he wasn't um, kind of overwhelmed with the, the whole coming into the SEC type type thing. He was he was kind of like, hey, I know I'm here to do a job. Um, I don't really. I'm not going to get distracted by, you know, what people are saying about me or if I was a good hire or not, or, you know, how many fans are going to come to the games or anything like that. He just has a great disposition and uh, understands that if, if he implements the plan that he wants to implement, he's confident that that will work. And he's not really worried about what, what other people might think about him. He's going for, for what he believes is best and why Coach Tanner hired him in the first place. And, you know, a lot of people, they can get to a bigger stage and kind of change who they are. think they might have to, you know, coach a certain way. But I believe Coach Kingston has just completely stayed true to himself and, uh, you know, is, gonna, is coaching these guys the way that he coached, you know, throughout throughout his career.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think if you, you know, obviously as you have, if you listen to any of his comments in his post game, or just, if you just listen to him talk about baseball, it's just, you know, evident he's a baseball guy. So I, I've been thoroughly impressed as well. And think Carolina's headed in the right direction and his leadership. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the the series over the weekend though with Clemson. Obviously Gamecocks dropped two of three after winning the Friday night game. Um I want to dive into a couple of things, but talk about just your your overall takeaways, you know, from the series.
2: Well, Clemson's a good team,
1: and um,
2: I, you know, I guess I'm not I'm not surprised they won two out of three. As a fan, you know, obviously winning that first game, especially the way they did it, you want to try to try to get another one there to to get the series, not only for yourselves, but you know, as a player, you know, kind of what's been going on with Clemson, kind of beating up on Carolina pretty much all over the place you really want to take some pride there and do your do anything and everything possible to do something for the fans and um and for yourself. So that was certainly disappointing, but um you know, I think the South Carolina team is a is a better team than I thought they would be. They they struggled a little bit with the bats here over the past week or so, but we're we're certainly more talented pitching-wise than I thought we would be and the lineup has all the potential in the world to be be a very good lineup during the SEC. So, uh, you know, disappointed we lost, but certainly think that we can have a successful year within the conference.
1: Yeah, agreed. I was going to say, I was actually there on Saturday, watched all three games, obviously, and was there on Saturday. Uh, I wanted to get to a little bit of what happened Friday. But first, I kind of wanted to ask you, because I came away from Saturday with this sort of this thought is – I. Would, would And you can disagree with me if you want, but I almost felt like there was a little bit of a lack of sense of urgency on Saturday. I mean, I'm not sure if that's the right word. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Cody Morris to kind of have the, you know, the outing he had. But it sort of felt like to me just a little bit of a lack of sense of urgency where, you know, yesterday obviously was – or Sunday, excuse me, was a winner-take-all game. You know, I really thought South Carolina should have played it a little bit more aggressively Saturday just because the last thing you want to do is lose Saturday and have to go win at their place. Um, right. Well, you I know, would not. again. Okay. go ahead.
2: I mean, I would certainly agree with that, especially since you're playing with house money. You know, you're it, yeah. you won the first game and you got a guy in Cody Morris who throws the ball 95 miles an hour. You know, you got to have some confidence going into that game. And it is a tough place to play. But I, I'm completely with you there. And hopefully I, I thought. Felt-
1: I, I was just going to say, I thought they made it painfully evident. And again, I'm not, you know, questioning any coaching decisions. I, I just thought they made it painfully evident they wanted to start Gilreath on Sunday because, in my opinion, you know, I, again, being there, I, you could just see Cody didn't have it. I mean, you know, it was amazing to me. I told somebody it was amazing through three innings. He's given up one run. I mean, he's had, I think at that point, he had six walks or five walks or whatever. Right. Um, and honestly, I would, I think I probably would have pulled pulled Cody after he walked the leadoff batter in the fourth inning again, just knowing he didn't have it. And, you know, I mean, they stuck with their guns and their game plan. I really think they wanted to start Reith Sunday again. I mean, I, I, you know, if they didn't, I, I think that would have been the time to pitch him if you're going to pitch him in relief. But yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, again, if Cody Morris has his stuff, it's, you're not even talking about it. But I, I just thought maybe there was a little bit of scent, lack of sense of urgency in the sense they were like, well, you know, we we've we've got one to give. We can still win the series if we lose today. Where I thought the mindset should have been, you you have to win today. Like this is throw all the chips out. You know, we need to win this game today and just end this thing now. So, well,
2: I I understand what you're saying, but also when you have a guy like Cody Morris, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to at some point this season battle through some adversity, and whether it be the Clemson game or the 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 fourth series SEC series. You know, when you throw that hard, you should always at least be able to bring your fastball with you to the park. And and and, you know, he obviously had some issues, but they didn't. Like you said, they didn't really score a lot of runs. And this offense is is Coach Kingston is very proud of his offense. You got to score some runs too. I mean, you gotta you gotta knock the ball around and not be afraid to drive some pitches. I see. I see Carolina, you know, missing a lot of very hittable pitches that um, that they could have gotten to, and it could that, that Saturday game could have been a completely different gra- game. I feel your frustration with Cody Morris certainly, but um, you know, they only gave up. What did they give up? Five runs that second game.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, you no, know, you're right, and I like Cody too, and I mean, I think I think it goes to show that only that you know. The few runs he gave up goes to show how good his stuff is that he can walk that many guys, and he continuously <laughs> got out of jams. For I mean, it's it was crazy. I like I said to watch, and like I said, he's got the velo. I think he's, you know, got arguably he could arguably have the best stuff on the staff. You know, obviously competing with Adam Hill, but right. uh, well, well let's
2: mean, be right. uh, let's be fair to Adam Hill. Adam Hill is a bona fide yeah. big leaguer here, in, in, in a couple years. I mean, he is he is filthy. Uh, but, yeah, I was but, gonna
1: ask you what. What you kind of thought of that performance Friday, that fourteen strikeout, back to back fourteen K games?
2: I mean, what I guess the thing that I was more surprised about than anything was the the emotion that Adam Hill showed. Um, yeah, he's pretty much a, for the most part hasn't really showed that much emotion, but when he was striking out those guys and getting fired up coming off the mound, I love to see that because it tells me that this is more than just a regular game to him. And it's wanting to beat Clemson. And, and that's the type of attitude everyone's got to have. Um, but he is filthy. I, I really think his changeup is a lot better this year. His fastball is tremendous. And he's uh, he's pounding the zone. When he's on that mound, he knows that he's going to, you know, he knows that he's the best, best player on the field. And it shows. Um, uh, speaking, of, speaking of that, uh, you know, Madison said, so "I'm working I'm I'm helping out at Blythewood High School, um, coaching baseball as a uh, a hitting instructor on the varsity team." And Madison Stokes' brother, Jansen Stokes, plays there. And Madison came and talked to us. And you know, one of the things that he he told us was, um, "Why is why is you know we asked him why do you think he's so been so successful this year?" And he said, "Because it's all confidence, and that when he steps into the batter's box." Whether it whether it be true or not, in his mind he's the greatest hitter in college baseball. And that is evident when he's when he gets into the box and you see the swings that he's taken. It's also evident to me when Adam Hill is cutting that ball loose that he has that same mindset as well.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I definitely want to talk a little hitting with you, because obviously you were a uh, <clears throat> you know, a top college hitter yourself for Carolina. Um wanna talk about this lineup, obviously, like you said, over the last week they've been a little bit of a slump, I guess you could say. I thought the bats definitely woke up on Sunday, and which was definitely encouraging to watch. Um, but the one guy I want to talk about, from you know your perspective, a hitting perspective, a, f- a fellow lefty, is Carlos Cortez. What have, what have you, you know, obviously he was bumped down to eighth in the lineup Sunday, which I mean I think was a move they had to make. I mean when you're three guys slumping as bad as he is, it's it makes it really hard on your team to score runs. I mean, what have you seen from watching him in the limited time you've gotten to watch him? What do you think's been his? You know, maybe his biggest problem at the plate is that people have film on him from last year. Is any, is there anything particularly he's doing? I mean, what, what are you seeing from him right now?
2: You know, honestly, I, I, I can't give a great critique on him because I haven't really studied his at-bats um, completely. But a lot of times when you're a guy like Carlos Cortez and you, you got the name out there, you've, you've obviously heard of the sophomore slump before. Um I, you know guys are certainly treating you a little bit differently. um he sees a lot of all speed pitches, and you know he he has done some great things at the plate despite um you know the, the 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 batting average. but he's a guy who really gets his weight into to a swing, meaning you know he's he really falls forward well, which creates um a lot of kind of inertia to be able to get that bat moving for you. Uh, I don't know if really, it's kind of like falling forward to, to really get that bat moving for you. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of like linear versus rotational hitting. I was more of a rotational hitter and everyone to some extent is, is a rotational hitter. Okay. But not everyone falls forward as good as other, as other hitters. Carlos Cortez falls forward tremendously within a swing but if he's not keeping his hands back and his in his upper half coiled, uh, you know, as he's making his fall forward, whether whether it be because, his you know, he started late or started too soon or whether it be a, a breaking ball, change up curveball and his hands kind of leak forward a little bit. It's going to certainly um, cause some issues for you. So if I was Carlos Cortez, I would just really work on, you know, doing what I'm doing, be- doing what has made me a great hitter, which is. You know, the way I, I use my entire body with the swing, but just making sure I train myself uh, as much as I can to keep my hands back, um, you know, in, on on off speed and change ups. It's easier said than done, but I've seen him do it m- multiple times. And once he can get back into that good feeling of being able to keep his hands back, maybe recognize the pitch a little bit earlier, even sitting on certain off speed pitches from time to time. I think it'll, I think he'll, he'll start popping off here pretty soon.
1: Yeah, for sure. I was going to say it's pretty funny because last year he, he really didn't do anything in non-conference last year either. And he hit conference play and all of a sudden it was just the switch turned on. I don't know if he, maybe he's just an SEC type hitter or what the deal is, but maybe he's saving it for SEC play. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's a tremendous hitter. One of the things also too, that might not be a bad idea to consider is to, to, to pop him up into the leadoff hole. It's not like we've really had a, a great leadoff hitter. I mean, Noah Campbell, to me, is one of my favorite players. I love watching him play. I think he's going to do great. But a lot of times when you have a hitter like Carlos Cortez, you throw him in the leadoff hole, all of a sudden he keeps coming up, and he's not having to think before he gets up to the plate for that first at bat. He just gets in there, and he's hacking right away. Typically, you're going to get better pitches and more fastballs, I think that could certainly be an idea for Coach Kingston to look into. It would be untraditional,
1: but but you know, that's that's yeah, the kind of stuff I'm talking
2: about.
1: I agree with you. I you know, <clears throat> excuse me. I think he's just the kind of guy that needs to, you know, find a way to get a couple hits. And I think once he gets them, they're going to kind of fall. You know, come in bunches. Obviously, so just find a way to get him a couple of knocks, and you know, exactly. Let the rest just kind of happen. So, uh, yeah. last question, we'll get you out of here, Trey. Um, <clears throat> overall, obviously, this team starts conference play in a little bit over a week with the Florida Gators, who's the number one team in the country. Um, you know, we're 12 came, twelve games into this point. You know, what do you need to see from this team or what do you think this team maybe needs to work on the most before it obviously starts in the SEC play, you know, with the Florida Gators in a week and a half?
2: Well, I see them, like I said earlier, they're missing too many pitches that they should be driving right now. And I really think a lot of it has to do with uh, – you know, really trying to stay in the middle of the field with their approach, which is obviously a great approach. That's, that's what you want to do, but you don't want to cut yourself off from being able to get to that middle end pitch. Um, I see a lot of the right-handed batters kind of, kind of cutting themselves off with their lower half where instead of driving that, that fastball middle or middle end, they're, they're usually taking it because they feel like they can't get to it or because, or they're either fouling it off. And when you're facing pitchers, especially the caliber of Florida, you might only get one hittable uh, pitch for a bat. You better be ready to hit it. And, um, you know, that that's what I see. Maybe just trying to be a little bit too perfect at the plate, you know, with you know, going up the middle the other way. It's okay to, to take, take a gangster hack every now and then and open up your front You know, your lower half, as long as your your upper half is back, you know, opening that lower half could could be a pretty good idea to kind of cheat and help their hips get moving a little bit so that they don't foul off or take that middle end pitch, but they they drive it instead.
1: Absolutely. And I'll go ahead. Chris, when you watch the
2: games, watch the games, watch how many times they take that middle end pitch, especially the right-handed batters, where they're they're either fouling it off or or, um, you know, taking it. And it's, to me, it's it's a simple, you know, simple thing. All you got to do is kind of look at their lower half and it kind of tells you what they're trying to do as far as driving the ball back up the middle. To me, they're doing that a little too much and not um, not being able to to hammer that ball that if you go out and watch them take batting practice, the the pitch that they're taking in the game is the same pitch that they're crushing out the left center during batting practice.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. I was I was gonna say, um, you know, from a pitching perspective, the one thing I'm looking for before they get into conference play with Florida is sort of what happens with the weekend rotation. I mean, I know they started Gilreath on Sunday, and it was a toss up. I definitely think Gilreath earned another start. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if you got to watch that entire game. I thought Gilreath threw the ball really well. I thought he was snake bitten by some, <clears throat> you know, a couple of blue blue pits and some weak ground balls. I and mean, I think he kind of uncharacteristically you know, fell behind in the count a little more than he had in his first two appearances. But I mean he's seventeen years old starting at Clemson. <laughs> I try to tell I tried to tell people like you don't understand how crazy that is. He should be in high school and he's out here, you know, starting against one of the best college baseball teams in the country at their place. So I mean I, I'm very intrigued to see just kind of what they do with that weekend rotation. Um, do, do they stick with Gilruth? Do they kind of you know let it play out again? But I, th- I think they've got to figure it out in a hurry because I mean the last thing you want happening going into conference play is not, you know not knowing who your Sunday guy is, for example. So I'm really intrigued to see how they play that. Well,
2: well I, cer- I certainly I think we could both agree that, the kid has a lot of talent and um, will do some great things for South Carolina. The the thing I like about the staff is they they do have a lot of good arms where anyone could step up at at, at any different time. So honestly, I mean, I I was really concerned about the pitching going into the season, but I I feel a lot more confident after I've seen the way they throw the ball. And Clemson's a great team; they they took it to us a little bit, but you know I'm feeling good. But our offense, we gotta—I mean, they gotta produce. They got they have they have the players to do it, and it's just a matter of them producing. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm I'm really hoping that Sunday is sort of a you know, a catapult into these next midweek games and then this weekend series. Because, like I said, from the fifth inning on, that looked like the team that we saw in the first, you know, week and a half of the season or so, just driving baseballs of the gap, um, yep. kind of staying within themselves. So I'm hoping that's going to translate over. But, you know, we'll have to definitely see. And, you know, obviously it's, when Florida comes to town, it's a huge series. So that will be a tough fun for sure.
2: Uh, it's going to be tough. The entire SEC season is going to be tough. There's a bunch of great arms. But they have the talent. They just got to – they got to be ready to hit that pitch. When you can get a lead on somebody and create that pressure, uh, especially in the SEC, you you got to get out early. You got to get out early and often, and and you got to score those runs, you know, early yep. to kind of get it rolling for you.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, perfect Hey, Trey, we're going to let you go. We'd definitely love to have you back on the show. Obviously talk some more Gamecock baseball, Um, let everybody know, you know, kind of where they can find you on social media if they want to follow along. I think you're, you're pretty active during the season as far as, you know, breaking down the games and breaking down the Gamecocks in general.
2: Yeah. I'm um, at Trey Dyson on Twitter. Um, and then on Thursdays, I'm on at 107.5 with Tim Hill and Bill Gunter with uh, Brian Jeffcoat. We work together at Jeffcoat and Jeffcoat Insurance. And uh, we go on and kind of talk about the game a little bit. And that is from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Thursdays. Okay. Other I'm than that, you. I'm around town, you know, having a good time with the local community and I'm out of Blythewood High School, loving every minute of that whenever I get out there and just having, having a blast.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, Trey, again, I mean, I would love to have you back on the show, you know, Anything. whenever, maybe a couple of weeks, just to, you know, talk some baseball. Um, again, you know, I'm Chris Phillips. You can find me at philly 19 Obviously, find us at ArmchairSCar on Twitter, ArmchairSCarolina on Instagram, Armchair South Carolina on Facebook, and, of course, ArmchairAmericans.com. Um, Again, be sure to rate, subscribe, share, and download the podcast. Check us out. We've got a ton of, ton of guests coming in as well. Trey coming back on the show hopefully, and uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening. in Armchair South Carolina. So, you know, again, Trey, appreciate you taking your time. We'll definitely be following along. We'll definitely be uh, breaking everything down with you know as far as the baseball season goes, and uh, we will be in touch soon. So, for Trey Dyson, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Spurs.